Hello, hello, and welcome back to Retrieving Sanity. And today we have a special guest, Stetson Smith. Hello. It's very so good to Stetson, be here. It's good to have you here. Um, so could you tell me a little bit about yourself? Like, uh, well, we got your name. So where are you from? How old are you? What's your story, kind of? All right. So a little bit about me. My name is Stetson. Um, I am 27 years old. Uh, I live in Amarillo, born and raised, same as uh, our host here. And uh, I'm still here, and I'm, I'm doing my best to operate with that situation. Um, it's definitely, uh, I've had a definitely interesting upbringing. Um, maybe not the most stable. Uh, definitely not the worst, um, but it was enough uh, to sort of cause some things uh, and make me feel a little bit handicapped. Um, and then now I'm sort of at a point in my life where I'm sort of getting over that hill or sort of uh, getting in a better place now. I'm definitely in a great place to sort of talk about it, open up about these experiences. Okay. Um, so what kind of low points have you hit? Uh, and has Amarillo had much of an effect on uh, trying to get out of those low points? Um, so really, I feel like the whole nation's feeling certain low points with like money and um, sort of like job opportunities, things like that. So Amarillo, we're, we're like isolated. For, so here's a little geography thing about Amarillo, and I'm sure you know this, but for the listeners, mm -hmm. essentially um, we're in the northwest of Texas. It's in the Panhandle, and it's basically been called the glorified truck stop of Texas because <laughs> I think this is true. Uh, I don't know how, if it's exactly true, but I've been told that – Amarillo is closer to six other state capitals than Texas's state capital. So Austin is eight hours away. And Amarillo as a city feels that, that we have a bit of an exclusion and sort of like this physical distance from the rest mm -hmm. of our major city metro neighbors, which would be Dallas, Houston, and Austin. Mm -hmm. So we're the biggest city uh, until you get into one of those. And so it's, it's basically all there is out here. Yeah. So a lot of travelers from other states know Amarillo from traveling through it, through their ski time or, or, or something like that for some reason. And then we've also got two major highways that plays a really important role into the, the lifestyle and the health of the city, mm -hmm. I think. Yep. These two highways are Interstate I-40, and Interstate I-27. Both of them <laughs> both of them cross like a T, just like you did. Yeah, both of them cross like a perfect T in our town. So we have this cross point. Now, why are those highways that big of a deal? Like plenty of towns have two highways cross into each other. Yep. Well, I-27 leads all the way down to the south border of Mexico. And I-40 completely stretches from coast to coast from california to florida mm -hmm. so right in amarillo where the south then meets the east and west we basically have a center of drug trade and weapon trade from from the cartels and from the south or from just anywhere in america it's going to come through here and then kind of spread um into the local area um yep if yeah, so that has been a big thing that I've seen from just delivering pizzas around here. And I've, <laughs> I've delivered some pretty 
scary situations at hotels and stuff. You can just kind of tell. Mm -hmm. I've worked at hotels here too. I think, you know, they train you to keep an eye open for that. They train you to keep an eye open for sex traffickers, for suspicious behavior, for people coming in and out the side doors a lot. Um, And, uh, man, I only worked at a hotel for like eight months, and I ran into all that. Yeah, I didn't know that they uh, trained you on that at a hotel. But being from Amarillo, I can totally see that because of how much uh, it actually – is a major hub for all of that and people not from amarillo they always picture amarillo to be a nice little picturesque town of sorts or a small town but whenever you live there it's not really quite the picture that it really is right that's true and so what does make it different from certain other big metros that do have higher crime rates um or pretty high crime rates too is that we do at least have like a really heavily funded police you know state kind of a thing and i'm mm-hmm. not too sure how you know what they really look like they're getting their money off of is speeding tickets and stuff like that <laughs> but yeah we've got we've got like a private army for a for a police force down here so yep. it, it it also causes you know issues for people who are just traveling through things like that minor minor um law violations like they're on top of it because they're so well enforced here and that's because there is somewhat a need for it. But what I think there is a more of a need for is addressing mm-hmm. just sort of like how that affects the whole population's mental health. Okay. Because, you know, um, first of all, there's like a whole attitude towards addicts that I'm sure mm-hmm. that you've been on the bad side of, the receiving end of, yep. of sort of these dehuman dehumanization policies or thoughts mm-hmm. towards addicts or homeless or people who are sort of down on their luck yep uh so that's a big part of what i do is i sort of like open up and sort of start the dialogue about those things and how um you know there's a huge growing need here in amarillo for um you know those who are underserved and underprivileged as i mean that's that's who's the neediest you know that's who needs yeah um and personally i've uh come close being you know in and out with that uh so i've opened up to you i don't have a whole lot of like drug addiction stories uh-huh. uh or like sort of stories like that uh i seem to be sort of like sheltered from it my parents sort of knew what was going on a uh. little bit so i got sheltered but then again there were drawbacks with like that because we still live in a we live in the bible belt <laughs> the bible so the so the, so the bible belt people know what the people not going to church are doing and they're assuming it's drugs. <laughs> so they feel like they have to maintain like a hold on their city with this strict iron fist mm-hmm. of, you know, we don't talk and associate with those kids or that family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, just, just things like that, man. I remember I got in trouble in fourth grade for doing a school project and I had, we make a little, little like dude, we make a little man. I don't know. Fourth grade. Oh. <laughs> and I, I wanted to color his eyes like a little bloodshot because in my mind from cartoons, this had meant a crazy person. Ah. I didn't know what drugs were yet <laughs> at all. And my teacher saw this and she immediately just like jumped to these conclusions. Oh man. And I got in so much trouble. And I remember being 
furious about it because they kind of assumed that I knew. They assumed that I grew up in a household that did drugs because mm-hmm. I was doing that. Uh, <laughs> growing up, now I really get where they were coming from. Not a proper reaction out of that teacher. That stuff still pissed me off. But I'm still <laughs> mad about it. But I don't blame you. Right? But, um, so that's sort of like, so then, so then here's the story of like, you want to be a normal average person and we're in a city full of dysfunction. We're in a world full of dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Navigate that. Yeah. Um, you have a good point about like Amarillo and it being a major hub, uh, because nowadays it's full of, uh, I think it's still meth, isn't it? That's really rampant mm-hmm. or is it a little bit of everything? It's a little um, bit of everything. So, well, meth is fentanyl. Ah, uh, is now the new bad guy. Yeah. Okay. Is the new, uh, what do the kids call it? The BBEG, the big bad evil genius. Uh, is <laughs> the is the fentanyl, which granted it can be in anything. It's it's mm. killing it's killing people. It hit. Uh, I'm pretty sure I had a I had a therapist uh, within one of my group recovery who lost Ooh. a really dear patient of theirs who was looking good, and all it did was that little bit of fentanyl got dosed in his um, coat. Oof. Yeah, gone. So yeah. I didn't know him, but it affected our counselor very heavily, which we, in turn affected you. In a sense, yeah, in a sense, it, it definitely opened my eyes. It affected me by opening my eyes to um, how close it is. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I've been watching a personal YouTube journalist that's been kind of delving into that pandemic throughout all of the cities. But yeah, meth and coke is definitely the still big trade. Here's how mm-hmm. big the trade of meth and coke is in Amarillo. I used to live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, and I was like north of Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was living in like a little Owasso is what the town was called. It was a little uh-huh. high school college town. It was, it was like the cleanup separated from Tulsa a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was it? I was Ubering at the time. I was working for Uber. I was driving people around. I went and picked up some people at a hotel or something like that. They were going to a casino and they get into my car. I could instantly tell that these people were were probably doped up or been dope users or something like that but they weren't that bad he the guy got in my car i looked at him and then i looked at him and he goes hey we're good people and i was like whatever I do, <laughs> essentially he he knew i was already like as long as you guys don't trash my car i'm gonna keep my mouth shut and just get you where you're going and uh and it was it ended up being an interesting ride but i remember just kind of like you know just telling them a little bit about who I am, where I'm from. I was like, yeah, I'm from Amarillo. And the lady in the back seat was like, Amarillo, I got lots of friends in Amarillo. I'm like, mm-hmm. uh-huh. <laughs> I was like, yeah. So it's it's known for its trade a little yeah. bit. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. So growing up in that, so growing, I mean, this there's got to be this has got to be in a lot of places too. It's. Mm-hmm. Really, what's opening up my my mind to this is. Amarillo in itself is like a perfect pot for polarity because you've got one side here who isn't really living with rules Mm -hmm. and then you've got the other side here who's like super conforming, Republican, Christian, all about those rules. 
Yeah. And so, and then I, and I already opened up, I grew up a little bit sheltered. So my home ringing, as you could take a guess, was the heavy Christian uh, upbringing. Mom's uh-huh. at church every Sunday. She's trying to get me to go every Sunday. I grew mm-hmm. up evangelical faith-based. I still have like ties to evangelical faith. I get it. Mm-hmm. There's no getting rid of it when you're from here. Um, <laughs> but uh, so then, yeah, that's like my early frame of standard of the world. You know, value, mm-hmm. commitment, marriage, monogamy. Um, clean. You know, that clean, straight line living. Mm-hmm. I was a kid. That's that's what I thought I was gonna do. It's what I thought everybody was gonna do. Uh. And then you get named Rillo. It is about like the high school level, middle school level. I started realizing, you know, that's not the case. Um, no. Yeah, things are not quite this way. And so now there's a whole restructuring of what you've been taught. Mm-hmm. And some of it, you know, some of it I agreed with hard with, you know, because it's what you knew. And even after some critical thinking, I didn't see a ton of harm in some of the, you know, beliefs yeah. that come out of, um, you know, Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think with a lot of spirituality stuff, a lot of people just miss the point. And, yep. and um, but that's with anything. Oh, so, yeah. uh, but with. So you're growing up with like this heavy Christianity set setting and then like a whirlwind, you get to college and the high school polyamory is opening up, you know, this whole, and then we got this whole shift with like uh, gender conversations opening up and things like that. So it was a whole reframe. And then now we're in Amarillo. We're still talking about like what the pol- political sphere is like in Amarillo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not everyone's me. Not everyone's going to go. What information from my childhood was useful and what wasn't? And yeah. so now we, we've got this pot of like really hard right and really hard left. And they're yeah. they're duking it out here. Um, and the, the right does have like the, the hard stance here, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so things are, things are still definitely very conservative here, um, for better or for worse. But that's that's sort of where they get their hurrah and like we're right from is because they look at the drug epidemic and all this and that. And they think it validates their excuse. Yeah. Uh, but nothing validates the excuse of dehumanizing policy to me. Yeah. Um, these are people. Yep. Very much so. And a lot of them are, uh, like you said earlier, down on their luck. Uh, some of them never even had a real choice because some people are born addicted, like crack babies, literally. And then you also just have those that uh, fell into it and they don't have a way out. They don't know that there is another way out. Um, and I think you were wanting to talk about something that was kind of similar in that sense, not being able to see the end, right? Right, absolutely. So, um with that setting in mind, now that we've painted this picture of the climate of Amarillo, you've got to understand that finding support here mm-hmm. can sort of be rare and few and far in between. Because it's almost like everybody's drowning in their dysfunction somehow. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> the need here for strong, solid mental health services is huge 
huge. And um, and that also goes at the inner community level because not everybody, you know, the, the bills with the medical side of it is like a whole nother layer of like yeah. how do I confront these mental health issues. So then there's, you know, of course, where you start with is the strong community, that free level, which is that conversation with your loved ones uh-huh. about um, fixing each other. But when, when that's rare, it's hard to get out of it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to think. You know, I feel bad for myself. Let's look around with what's going on with other people. And it's either just dramatic um, success because they haven't had to deal with these things in their upbringing and other people can identify that. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're the you're the clean kid from the clean family Yeah, that that, that follows our social norms versus the other way. You can't it begin to cast this light that I can't escape this narrative um and i feel like there's so many people here feeling that way and then yeah of course if you look at the other people they're they're just as hurting as you are if not worse and so that's not helping as well so like i said i didn't deal with a drug uh addiction thing here even though it was happening around me my response is to my personal at-home trauma and then becoming aware of how hurt everyone else is around me i i sort of grew closer to like what we call suicidal idealization mm. uh, which is what i sort of wanted today to be our real theme about but i know we had quite the opener there <laughs> um so suicidal idealization what is that so essentially i've got it pulled up like your whole uh google thing is going to basically just tell you just mm-hmm. living with suicidal thoughts, a broad term used to describe a range of contemplation, wishes, preoccupations with death and suicide. Um, on a more personal level, I guess it's sort of like waking up every day and having a real debate with your inner thoughts of, is uh, life worth living? Yeah. That's super easy for some people to come to a conclusion on an obvious yes, and it should be an obvious yes you think and in ways it is because i'm sure for anybody who's had an attempt it's not exactly the easiest thing to do Mm -hmm. so you know none of us can thanos snap and like cease our or others existence it's it seems to be very persistent so having um a feeling thought sensation consistently with you that's like well we don't want to do this anymore let's hit that off switch <laughs> but there yeah. isn't there isn't one um so that could become for an extended period of time unaddressed that could become quite a serious thing to live with um, yeah. and that argument eventually becomes you know the it, it, the worst case scenario leans towards no this is not worth living and mm-hmm. so when you really hear that it's not worth it, uh, the worst of it, you begin to sort of project your life as like you're not going to be around anymore. So the decisions mm-hmm. you make don't matter long term in any way because, God forbid, you're here for it Yeah. Um, in kind of that sense. Which then begins the spiral and the horrible self-looping cycle that, you know, you end up easily making decisions Mm -hmm. that sort of 
validate, um, you know, almost like self sabotage. That's that's perfect definition of the word. Yeah, and so you begin to do this self sabotage because you hate yourself. <laughs> so, yeah. see, so, you know, that's uh, a big part of it. So uh, I wanted to start with talking about a little bit about how long I've struggled. So talking about my yeah. upbringing a little bit. So this did not just, uh, it could hit some people pretty young. But uh, as a youth, I try to be very optimistic. Um, and, you know, I bring this up because if there's any parents out there listening or parents who have kids who might be dealing with certain things like this, where at the level where I was at when I was a kid was sort of like having these thoughts late at night not being able to sleep because I'm not happy with what's going on with home because I'm absorbing my parents' unhappiness that they have on their marriage and each other mm-hmm. and me, <laughs> which, you know, and of course it's my fault somehow. So I'm thinking about it yeah. and all this and that. And it's like, well, hey, you know, at least when I turn 18, I'm an adult and it's all up to me and I can make this better and life will life will spin around a little bit, you know, when I get to mm-hmm. 18. So I get to like 17 and, um, you know, I move out and I'm with, you know, um, with a roommate, first time, first apartment, things like that. This sh- stuff blows up, man. It goes oh, man. bad, you know, of course. And then you're thrown right back into it, essentially. And then, and then you know, not to get onto that story, but essentially... Mm-hmm. Then I turned 20, 21. You're like, man, things are still at a very unsatisfactory level of, you know, what I've been through and where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And I don't really much care for the projection. I don't really see where it's like the, you know, because when you're in high school, it's like, well, next year I'm going to be this grade and this grade and this grade. And then I go to college. If you're on like, you're on tracks. Yeah. You're like, you're like, you know you're on the you're on the rails and you're just you're just enjoying the little ride that they put you on and then they hit like college and you can start paying admission fees and (laughs) and, um you know what i mean and then the and then the rails are a little bit more like by your own choice and things like that so Mm. um you know life really opens up with a lot of these opportunities and um those the the track once i hit that point in life I, I immediately got lost and just disoriented because um, you just kind of get sort of pushed there. And then the yeah. world just, they were just like, sink or swim, man. That's what we did. You know, you're either going to, you're going to swim or drown. And I was like, well, I've kind of been struggling to swim this whole time. <laughs> uh, um, oh, I was just going to ask. So what age you said youth, do you have like uh Age. I consider that like up to 18. Up to 18, I was like, if things don't change, uh, I'm going to start considering an op-out. But I don't really think that that's feasible now. I've got a lot more ahead of me right yeah. now. That's good. Uh, it was about, I think it was about 21, 22. I started sort of opening up about comments about my life. Mm-hmm. And one of them... Um, that really struck a lot of people was that I went a significant time about four or five years with zero relationships Hmm. uh, romantic yeah and that wasn't my choice (laughs) that was and we're in like an age where sex is in your face 
everywhere you know everybody's got either that partner that they've been with or they've got partners and that they don't really struggle with getting more it was it's just like on everything and of course i grew up again like i said i grew up with that sort of false mentality Mm-hmm. Like we were all gonna find our wives, <laughs> a, a wife or something like that, yeah. and so um, being in the midst of this, you know, I was kind of telling myself, I was like, well, if I, you know, I like, you know, I, I'm young, I'll have some time without really serious commitments, but that's fine. Like if you're young, you don't want to be committed. You're yeah, young. whatever. Um, and so. But then, you know, I started getting older and it was weird. It was like in high school, everybody was playing house. Everybody was hooking up at high school and they were like, we're going to be together forever. <laughs> and I was like known as an asshole because I was like, no, you guys aren't. No, y'all are going to sh- change dramatically. Uh-huh. This is a bad call. Like, this is a very slim odds that high school sweethearts work out. And mm-hmm. I was right, <laughs> you know, for the most part. But it got to about like, you know, the later years of college. Then I'm like, okay, now's the time that you start. <laughs> picking someone and you know slowing things down no everybody who did that in high school was tired of it and they're over it and so they need something new so it always felt like this like odd like i'm out of time i can't get the timing i've got to delay a game and an early start can we putt the ball (laughs) on time please i i just can't seem to find this niche that was a lot of me growing up is sort of like i can navigate social settings but i'm just somehow missing the cue yeah or something um so so i talked about it with my youth i do want to say this so these comments that i started making so i started opening up that i wasn't in a relationship for about four or five years no intimacy within a world where we're at like senior level high school freshman level college that's all those guys are thinking about man you know and, and you know i fell into it too and so when i would open up about these things i remember one guy literally going Damn, I would kill myself. Oof. And it was almost like, I, I almost was like, cool, you get it. Like, you get why I'm starting to want to talk about this. This sucks. Yeah, this was fueling a thought that I am something um, that couldn't be lovable is cursed cosmically Mm -hmm. whatever it is i i as a person was unallowed to experience intimacy and romance and i don't know how much stock you put into that stuff but i put a lot of it and it it um it kind of hurt it also hurts is you know man i was that stereotypical nice guy because then you're watching all the other people who i can tell they're manipulating people's emotions and they're they're known for being bad people in relationships but they're top pickings no yeah and so that sucked and so that creates this comparison Mm -hmm. uh between all these people that are getting it that i'm not and they're not fucking good people. No one stopped it. <laughs> I didn't. That was the thing I was missing. No one stopped me and was like, hey, man, these aren't even good people. I equated relationships and ability to at least even have a one night stand is mm-hmm. like somehow a better person than me. 
it it was bad. It was a bad, wrong mentality. Oh yeah. And anybody who's there right now, I'm saying right, get out of it. <laughs> it's not good. Closure I did get years though. Years later, I reconnected with a high school friend. Mm-hmm. And she's cool. And this high school friend was kind of what we would call the homie hopper. Because <laughs> she oh. she dated all my other friends in high school. That was within my direct group. Mm-hmm. She gave all of them some sort of chance. Some of them got longer chances than others. But they got a chance. Yeah, I was the one who did not. And mm-hmm. she would even say, like, you're known as the most reliable, you're the most dependable. You know what the real answer was? Is I was the most emotionally intelligent. And they couldn't lose that because they knew they weren't. But yep. that's a whole other thing. Oh, yeah. So years later, we reconnect. And years later, I open up to this individual. And they're actually still with their high school sweetheart. So I was actually happy that that actually worked out for them. Because I was like, well, at least who you did end up with was your guy. Yeah. Um, at that time. So, uh, <laughs> so I was getting some closure talking to this person because this person sort of indirectly fueled a lot of my, you know, I'm not enough thoughts because they dated all of my friends. Uh, and I opened up to them about that directly. I said, you sort of allowed this channel of thinking where I compared myself to these people and I started name dropping. <laughs> it's like every name I dropped, her eyes got wider and wider. Like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Not him. Did I do that? Uh, and, and it was really nice. And she apologized. She acknowledged that that happened and I got an apology. Uh-huh. And that was cool. But it also sucked because it was like, I was right. <laughs> I was sold short. I wasn't given a fucking chance. It wasn't in my head. I was right about that. Yeah. And so now that's a whole new thing <laughs> to get okay with. Um, and really, uh, at the end of the day, just kind of like realizing you, uh, what was it? Like good advice I got from a bad person one time was be grateful for all your unanswered prayers because really – at the end of the day now i can see i did dodge a bullet but Mm -hmm. i didn't have that hindsight until until nine years later oh man nine years is a while too yeah it is the so but that's what we're talking about we're talking about the Mm -hmm. value of life yeah so you're probably gonna have to play the long game (laughs) you're probably gonna have to you know, if you want that to have a lot of value, it's gonna have a it's gonna have a lot, mm-hmm. you know, and that starts with playing a long game. Um, so so that's about my twenties, and that's my early twenties. Okay. I'm only twenty seven, so I'm not in my thirties yet. Uh-huh. So the story is crapping up here. So the gas sort of started getting fueled onto this thing about after that about probably college. I was on and off. I wasn't getting my degree. I was struggling with it. I was struggling with Amarillo. I was struggling with the climate here. I didn't feel like I fit in um, with what was valued here. Not either from the heavy conservative Christians (laughs) to the people who were openly and happily dysfunctional. Um, I didn't really like the whole, like, you know, it's a party. We're Mm -hmm. all manipulating. We're all just doing really bad things. I I felt like there was a solid time and maybe still is where that is glorified. And I do everything I can to not endorse that. 
Yeah. Uh, so things got really bad, of course, and da 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 da. When I got in an abusive relationships, uh oh, what we call relationships. I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss. <laughs> Not really, uh, but it's okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so. I understand. It's on air. But uh, so uh bad relationships and this has hit anybody and you know what bad relationships can honestly just bring out the worst in you too i think that's why mm-hmm. a lot of them end with nobody with clean hands oh yeah or innocence out of the whole ordeal and um you know and it, and there's an extra layer to it with being abused um by anybody is horrible but i think that there is a space where men are not as open about abuse from women. Um, and that's in all sorts of statistics. Mm-hmm. Um, there are even, I remember when I was in that group therapy, we talked to mentioned that group therapy with that counselor who lost a, a patient while mm-hmm. in that we talked about the statistics of abuse and domestic violence. And of course it still shows that women are on often and more likely to be receiving of those things which yeah. totally could be true. It probably is true. But we still probably don't have real accurate numbers of men who are on the receiving end of these things. We don't open up about it. Yeah. Um, we're not allowed to talk about it. No, sir. Something else that I want to bring up now, this is a good transition, that did not help with living with suicidal idealization is that when my female friends were struggling, Mm-hmm. whether it was me or a lot of people they could really kind of get that support quick um yeah. from online or wherever or the the sisterhood essentially nah. like those girls watch out for each other the girls talk listen yeah. to her all these are great things mm-hmm. what these are if you really remove gender is just strengthening strengthening community is strengthening like is someone going around lying and being a manipulator and a little you know fox uh-huh. you know you suss them out by everybody else telling the truth and that's why i believe it about like you know open discussion of wages just just be open to discussions oh yeah um, healthy ones but uh that is not there for men i don't think not at the same level and not here yeah. Uh, I didn't have it personally, me, if we want to erase sort of the gender stuff, I didn't have it. So I worked at this place, man, I'd love to name drop on these people, but I worked for a pizza delivery place. (laughs) Essentially, and I mean, this was happening at so many places here. Um, you know, the manager, uh, one of like the assistant manager was sleeping around with a lot of people in the store. Oh, that, I think that's normal. Normal, normal shit. Yeah, I wish it wasn't because it was still kind of like, it was still kind of new. Of course, coming from that Christian mentality, this was wild to me. I was yeah. like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, crap. Sorry. I can't. I, gotta, I thought these people were crazy. I thought these people were really out of their mind mm-hmm. for just engaging in these risky behaviors. And also just entangling that many people at work together. I mean, she slept with like five of the employees, like, including me. Whoops. But uh, I didn't realize that there was so many cohorts with it. And then so when things like, when we all start figuring out about each other, it blows 
up huge. Oh. And then, of course, I'm immediately like, well, we've got to go grab the supervisor and, like, really fix this. And he's like, uh-oh, y'all are finding out. And we're like, oh, no! And so there is no... Nobody, nobody out of that whole group of men was gonna stop and be the bigger person. Not even our boss. He was, he was in on it, and it literally got to the point where actually I was the only one who had such a huge issue with this and how unethical it was business wise that I was told that I was either gonna get fired or transferred to another store. Ooh, and Damn. not wanting to get fired because it's a corporation that's all over america and literally they just have to click a button and then i'm non-rehirable at all locations no matter how much i was wrong personally yeah didn't want to deal with that and this guy was being quite um not a nice person about uh people about finding out about his assistant manager who he was also with so uh so essentially um I went to another store and things didn't quite end from there. And there was more than one abusive relationship, but that one, that one really knocked things off. I just fully went to my lowest of the low and I didn't know what to do. I was furious. I felt wronged and I felt damaged from certain things that, and that are part of the story, part of something I've left out, but I was really hurt. And I wanted to, you know, of course I wanted to lawyer up and like look into this. And every time I talk to my support group, my support group is very much just like, move on, let it roll off your back. Just keep your head low and go for a better day. But a better day didn't really come. I was sort of haunted by this. I was persistently Mm. sort of like, you know, I was left in vulnerable places and spots and that person knew that and they would come back and continue to manipulate me and string me along show you just enough love to make you feel like this person actually does care about you get you right back on the line and i mean that was my whole upbringing um really to spin it back to like what i was used to this is what i was used to this is what my family did to me growing up mm-hmm. um so i allowed it uh this is something i really want to touch up on for anybody with okay. mental health I think that a lot of bad or what's called detrimental mental health decisions staying in that toxic relationship or a relationship that's not working out, mm-hmm. um, going back to those really addictive drugs, um, even though you know what might happen or what will more than likely happen, anything, the whole wheelhouse of bad uh, mental health decisions, I think, can stem from a sense of just low self-worth. And mm-hmm. it, it does seem like a generalized statement, but truly thinking to yourself, I don't deserve better, and I'm never going to have better. So why start acting like it now? Yep. Uh, no. And so, you know, being being single for four years really helped me frame that mentality. It primed me right up to think, okay, well, the most abusive thing is still better than nothing. Oh yeah. Yeah. And no, you're entirely right. Like low self-worth, 
low self-esteem, all that is a huge culmination of what keeps people in a negative feedback loop. Um, and it's crazy because we can know or supposedly know what's better for us, but we like to choose that, eh, I'll go back to a familiar pain. Or at least yeah. that, that's how it was for me and a lot of people I've talked to. Absolutely. See, and it, that's what the point about opening up the discussions, we begin to notice patterns, familiarities, and then we all kind of realize that even though we're having perhaps very vastly different reactions to how we feel, mm-hmm. all of us onto some level feel the same. Yep. And uh, I think that's a beautiful phenomenon but and a twisted phenomenon. It all is. All in one. It really is. Because it's like the same story, just a different narrative. Um, and like, it's kind of playing some of those video games where the main quest line is the same, but everyone's perspective is just so much different, but it all leads to the the same in the end. But I mean, everyone's story is so different that it's unfair to label them the same because then it takes away the value of, well, it was that person's story, just like your story is your story. And Mm -hmm. so your story matters. Uh, this is where it gets really big onto the Eastern teachings, which I started to delve into with like, of course, the universe experiencing mm-hmm. itself, like the same story through all these different narratives, through all uh-huh. these different perspectives and lives of like, it's all the same Godhead deity, essentially uh-huh. living through these nuanced identities that were only built off of what that version of the source mm-hmm. experienced through that avatar. Yep. Fucking wild shit! Oh my god, I'm so, 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 so. I gotta nope. be, I gotta be better. So that's what. Editing. So, um, I wanted to talk about what didn't help and what did help. So what time did? We got? Uh, we got about twenty-five ish minutes. Uh, let's oh, call perfect. it perfect. Yeah, well, we're at my halfway point. <laughs> yeah. So, so what didn't help and what did help? What didn't help? Sure enough, that one guy being like. Oh man, if I had gone four years of no relationship, I would kill myself. Mm-hmm. That sure enough started validating that I, and I think that guy actually had a alcohol poisoning um, event, and and he came out of that too. So I think he was actually in a place, a similarity, mm-hmm. where he was able to call it out. wasn't the best way to do it, but actually it was like later on that he he was the first person to really like. I noticed he was much kinder to me after that. Because it was almost like he he caught me. He was the first person to catch me. Mm-hmm. Um, what didn't help when I was a kid and I was upset about my home life, about the active abuse I was undergoing, uh-huh. is that when people outside of my home would realize I'm upset, I, I remember this happening more than once. People would go, you're a kid. What do you have to be upset about? Why are you sad? You don't have bills. You're not paying taxes. You're not watching the news or listening to what the government's doing. <laughs> Why are you sad? What do you have? <laughs> like, what is possibly happening to you? Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, uh, nothing I'm going to tell you, buddy. <laughs> yep. So uh, don't be dismissive. Yeah, no. Um, that That goes for a lot. That even goes for people who are trying to be helpful, man. Mm-hmm. So... My support group after I got abused and my job taken from me, I got transferred to a store that was not a well-run store. I was essentially taken from a store that was also not a well-run store, but I went from one fire into another. 
Yeah. And uh, but basically, uh, it was either that or lose my job. But so talking to my support group, they were like, "Oh man, you know, go on, let it roll on, be yeah. a bigger person, keep your head low." To them, they thought that this was like sort of high road, higher ladder, higher person advice. Uh, but actually, it was extremely dismissive of the truly wrong that I was done. Yeah. Because years later, after I'm like at a place of self-confidence to where I'm like, wait a minute, no. <laughs> I want to know like what uh, I could have done about that or if anything still because it's still kind of a thing. And uh, I called a lawyer, and he was like, dude, if you called me within, like, 30 days of that happening, we would have had you a case pretty fast. Oh, damn. Oof. Sometime, and that would have cost me money, but they would have more than likely settled had I had yeah. actually gotten a case put together. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, yeah, what did he say? He said it was, a, it was a retaliation. He said it was wrongful retaliation to oh, make yeah. you change your place of location or anything because mm-hmm. they were doing unethical behavior yeah um that store would have been flipped pretty much but because i was consistently told by people not to worry about it and then these people one of them went and worked there after all this <laughs> what <laughs> yes that, that that yeah that got me and then of course the other ones were trying to sleep with her too Oh, well, yeah. So, uh, yeah. so, yeah, see, yeah, guys always have that, like, well, what do you expect kind of a thing. It was the thing, like, women kind of expected people to sort of, like, stick together. Or they, they, they what I would expect out of anybody, out of a good community, a healthy community, men and women included, is that everybody's sort of, like, not try to, like, be sort of sleazy or sort of, like, hurt each other, essentially, like, in that mm-hmm. kind of a setting, whatever. But they're yeah. all coming from their own dysfunction. And now yeah. I've really painted you the picture of Amarillo. Oh, yeah. We are all drowning in our dysfunction. Correct. Uh, there's nobody really, like, a, like the, that sense of togetherness really does need to come together. So then talking about what did help, community. Yeah. Okay. People who, who did see eye to eye with me and see eye to eye with, like, what I went through was wrong for me. And that if those were lifestyles that those other people didn't want to partake in, Everybody should have been more open about it. I should have been. I should have known faster that, like, all right, if everybody's gonna be sleeping here at work together, I'm gonna leave. And that happened. That happened, like immediately after that place, I went to another place, found out about behavior like that. <laughs> like within my first three weeks, quit, no notice. I was like, uh-uh. <laughs> I was like, I've seen this. Uh, um, I I don't play around with it anymore. I began to, and that even that even having the job that's a shitty bad job that. uh that isn't serving you anymore. I think people accept that because it's all about self-worth. Mm-hmm. I deserve this or I don't deserve anything better than this. This is the best I can ever have mm-hmm. is this not good thing, <laughs> um, which I can only imagine if they really, really leaned into that, they can only start turning into what I dealt with was just suicidal idealization because how can you really – handle something that long that you're really not enjoying yeah um so community helped art helped um, but that, i'm an artist um okay. but 
Oh yeah. And a big part of that is like expressing, just just expressing this stuff. And I'm a talker. Oh <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Go for it, man. Just getting it, getting it out. Like just get getting it out. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I'm totally cool with any sort of forms of like medium of music, even though it may not be my taste, man. Like if you want to write that sad country. She broke my heart and my truck. You know, like if that's what's gonna that's your story and that's what you're gonna resonate with. Like get it get it out. Um and you know, music, art, drawing, things like that. It's okay. Lean into these things. Even if you're a hard dude and you're not gonna let anybody else see that, just you know. I think there's a reason why emotional country singers are popular, man. It's because they're finally allowed to feel Mm-hmm. Even though they're tough and they are tough, you could be tough and be emotional. I, oh, I, yeah. I want this to be reframed culturally everywhere. Yes, sir. Um, and so, uh, I got really big into poetry, performing. Um, I started doing these open mics. I, I'm now kind of doing this with you. That's sort of part of it. Like expression, expression definitely helps. Tell, yeah. tell the story. And I know it seems like it's. 8 billion people or something like that so it's like why is my story why is your story matter it's in a sea of sound is what i like to call it that's our digital realm now it's just this just this white static of noise so why would anything i throw in there be anything more than a diamond the ocean Mm -hmm. really all all that sense of you know the value of that dime is the same as how, how much you value yourself yep and so even though you're throwing it out into an ocean, it could still be really valuable. It could still be coming across by someone or something uh, that gets something really well out of it. And at the end of the day, all you've got is your coin. I mean, if everybody, if there's so many people, if the competition is just all this crap, the only thing you've got is you, which I said so stereotypical. <laughs> that's really that's really all anybody has is yeah. themselves at the end of the day, whether we lose mm-hmm everybody around us or everything around us you're stuck with yourself so yep um that's the only good thing that you're going to be able to really give the world the best thing you're going to be able to give the world is is the best parts of yourself so that's my final note uh kind of is sort of like leaning into you hmm um so what do i mean by that by leaning into these some advice i received recently and i wasn't really even able to understand it until like about a year after i had even heard it but it is sort of that soul searching and finding out who you are but i'm like i always hated it when i heard that when i was a kid they're like you need to figure out who you are i'm like man i'm i'm just me dude <laughs> i'm just experiencing i've stetson i know who i am but it's it's actually kind of there's actually a deeperness to it it is accepting your nature as is i think mm-hmm. and finding a healthy relationship with that and finding a healthy relationship with um leaning into that really really hard even though society might tell you that what that is isn't okay even though other people might tell you that they don't agree with it and they don't see it mm-hmm. if that's you by a really strong definition i'm i'm i, I really do want people to lean into it even if i don't agree with it Mm -hmm. you know uh because what works for other people isn't going to work for everyone else and so i think what what does not help 
was generalization or essentially because like I did XYZ and now I'm all better. Everybody needs to do XYZ. It's like, no, no man. Mm-mm. You just need to tell people that you did XYZ to get better. And then whoever wants to follow that will. Yep. And stop. Stop thinking that you can fix the world with just what works for you as an individual. It's not how it works. No, no, but that's that's definitely the hardcore mentality of the evangelicals around here. They were, you know, we're going to get our knees and pray real hard and then all our problems will go away. All the drug trade will stop. <laughs> Magically. And, yeah, and it actually hurt. Uh, that is something else that did not help growing up to this day, man. I can still open up to my mom about issues I'm having with, like, mm. my car battery died. Mm. And I need help getting it replaced. And I don't want to take it to a shop, so I'm going to try to do it myself. And I called my mom, and I'm all like, do you, you know, you know, you got some tools I can borrow or some advice and some means I can go about this? And she's like, I will pray for you, honey. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Magic daddy out of the sky is going to come save you. And you know what really grinds my gears with that is that at the end of the day by my efforts i did fix the car battery at the end of the day i went to autozone and replaced it Mm -hmm. and all this and that and totally by the end of the day that was all done by a grace of divine that i could go do that and then i was back in my car by the end of the day and it was Mm -hmm. mobile that is nice you know i could say thank god for that Mm mm-hmm but then she comes out as the car's like up and running, like, you know, and the car starts and it's going and she comes out and she's like, ah, thank God. I knew God would come down and do all this for you. And I'm all like, man, I'm going to wash this grease off my hands. <laughs> oh, um, you know, it was essentially like, well, this isn't really helping me physically no. with an issue. We're just hoping a solution presents itself. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of people. Oh yeah, it's hoping that this solution is going to present itself, and for me, it came in the form in my darkest time. The solution was cease to be, cease to exist. Yeah. So yeah, so my attempts were pretty interesting. So I got, I got to this point. I was in, through this bad relationship. Uh, some things did help, some things didn't help, but I was still really bad with me and i didn't see things getting better i got to this point where i hit 25 that was the real marker you're at a quarter of a century yep and i hate it (laughs) i do not like that experience of my first quarter of a century and you're really not guaranteed that and a lot less guaranteed the next three three quarters yeah so so it really opened up this debate of like, even if things get better to a degree that I can't even see it, let's say things get super better, will I experience enough of that to eradicate the first quarter of a century being hell? Mm. Um, that was hard. Then you hit 26. And you're like, I can't really do another year of convincing myself next year. Things like that. Um, I was having a lot of job instability. I still have some issues with job instability. Okay. Um, so I I was like, 
I, you know, by all definitions decided, I couldn't hold down a job. I wasn't out of my parents' house. I wasn't building up money or monetary capital gains for myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't really feel like I had anything to show for being 25. As a matter of fact, at the time, I'm pretty sure I felt like I was about to lose my car. Or, or I totaled one of my cars. So at one point, I was out of car, out of a job. It was like, yeah, it was pretty much like, this is what I've got to show for enduring all this trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, oof. You know what I mean? I, I guess, you know, I guess I'll just kind of call it good game and log yeah. off. Um, and so that's sort of where I started heading and I started making decisions based off of that. I did, um, I retaliated. I sort of got angry, upset. I was this constant bitterness. I remember I had this nonstop constant anger, just seething anger with like reality itself around me. Uh. Oh yeah. It got pretty dark and you know, I'm like waking up at like 3am to these like panic attacks and screaming because I'm so mad that this like experience is still happening. I'm still here. I'm perceiving. I'm awake. And it was like an absolute just rage for that. Uh-huh. Uh, that was hard to deal with. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you right right now. That's not any. That's not an easy thing for anybody to get through. Mm-hmm. And I destroyed relationships. And I destroyed my connections. And it sort of is like the grave was already dug and I was already standing in it. And then another version of myself was like, all right, we'll fill in this hole. <laughs> like, come on, let's get this guy buried. Already. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, it became a real big attitude of like, I don't want to be here. And I think, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of people, this whole nation could be feeling that to some degree, they don't want to be oh, here yeah. dealing with these problems. And, um, so, so the silver lining, the light at the end of the tunnel, what I didn't see coming was that I sort of got what I wanted the whole time, which was understanding and intimacy and love. I got a girlfriend who did um, sort of invest and, and sort of help me out. She saw that I had a lot of good things to offer, but she also saw I wasn't perfect. No. Neither was she. We came together as two broken individuals, and we decided as two broken individuals, we were going to put our best effort into healing each other and ourselves together, and now we both completely transformed from who we were from when we met each other. Now, this isn't to think that you're a person who meets someone and goes, I can fix him. (laughs) No, this is sort of, um, we are going to team up on this effort of fixing ourselves and Uh, now we have a we've got a we've got a co-op it became a co-op play instead of this um you know single playthrough which was really hard and especially with like financial means and things like that and um you know i had a roommate that i tried to do that with uh with like the less the you know definitely not the romantic aspect of it but Mm -hmm. it, it did not work out because we weren't ready yet and we weren't in a place of knowing yet um, with what was even wrong with us, why, what we were reacting to that was so bad. Um, so it does definitely start with like mental health awareness, which starts mm-hmm. with talking to somebody, your therapist, this podcast, anything, informing yourself of mental health. And yep. then with that, you can then inform yourself 
of like your your confidence. Well, I was I was interviewing someone with the news about policy and news and like voting stuff. But what they said was, you know, voter knowledge is voter confidence. It's really kind of the same thing, and that's what I'm talking mm-hmm. to when I say lean into yourself. The self knowledge is really the key to your self worth, your self confidence. Mm-hmm. How well do you know yourself? Man, I heard this stuff all the time growing up. I didn't know what the heck these people were talking about. <laughs> um, and so it really, it really is this discovery of of finding yourself, and that is that's you kind of already know what it is. So when you, if you're sitting there and you're like, "What does this even mean?" What naturally brings you joy, and just start doing that, judgment free, uh, mm-hmm. as much as you can, as long as it's not hurting other people. Really lean into what is fulfilling yourself with joy. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's you. You know kind of being your best happiest version of yourself so lean into you being or doing those things yeah and i mean that is ultimately what life is supposed to be about enjoying right but it's really hard to whenever you're in our society or like if you're in the uh belt buckle of the bible belt (laughs) (laughs) like uh and i think you bring up so many good points that we're going to have to have you back on so that we can have these deep discussions because like the self-worth, leaning into yourself, uh, just self-knowledge, just everything, the uh, negative feedback loops of uh, self-sabotage and so on and so forth. And it's just, you have a good and great foundation and you've come a long way and so this one hour is not going to get all of your story and um, like you were saying the diamond the ocean kind of thing this cacophony that's going on uh your story is a single clear note to someone else and will make them go i'm not alone someone else knows what it feels like to feel this way and you get to help someone and I think that should be enjoyment right there, but it's not necessarily about the recognition because it's also about you just fulfilling yourself, right? You're enjoying this. You're enjoying getting mental health awareness out there. You're trying to reform the structure, and that's the way that it should be. You should be in getting some fulfillment from it. And I think that that's a great way to do it is getting your story out in telling people letting it be known because so many guys in our society uh, just actually people in general are really bad about opening up we're getting better at it but Mm -hmm. by no means are we good at it you know what was really insightful a generational insight i have a i have an excellent grandmother she's an angel of the earth man but mm-hmm. so i'm getting out of all this intensive group therapy and mental health work with these doctors i sit down with my grandmother one day and i'm just like let's let's hit you with it i i hit her with everything i kind of know about mental health using certain situations we were in with my family about mm-hmm. like yeah this is how they're responding with a f- fight or flight response this this and that and like explaining it to my grandmother and watching all of it just click and click and click and click and click and then just kind of stopping and then i'm like 
but you guys never talked about that, huh, Grandma? And she would go, mm-mm. <laughs> you know, she's like, we, nope, you're the first person to really crack that book open and crack open these behaviors and put them under the microscope mm-hmm. and then go, these are the results. And, um, and yes, I really appreciate a lot of the things you said. Thank you. I did do a self-discovery. I have kind of realized that my best traits come with uh, I'm very good at talking and I do want to talk about this stuff and I think I can bring a valuable input even though I am just one person um, I've got a lot of performing background I, I perform my poetry things like that I would love if anybody in Amarillo would love to get connected and, and look into my poetry and performances and stuff like that I'm trying to create my own company um, I did talk about how, so I talked about I've been job, like kind of job struggling. Man, mm-hmm. I'm 27. I've had 33 jobs. Woo. Woo. So that, of course, and this is a recent thing I've struggled with just like a few days ago where it's just like, am I not worth uh, this, you know, value of, of decency because I can't seem to hold down a job? No. The answer is, I don't work for someone else very well. So Uh, it's time to just start working for myself. It's time mm -hmm. to start doing what I'm good at, which is serving me and serving what I need to do. And come to really find out everything's now cosmically aligning up pretty fast. I'm starting my own business pretty fast. Here I am on this podcast all of a sudden, even though the last time I was on a podcast (laughs) was years ago. Listen to my advice. I just started taking it. (laughs) And it's working out. There you go. Sometimes that's all it takes, though, right? Yeah. Um, really, really getting started is kind of it's it's really scary because because we just came out of this voice, this familiarity. Mm-hmm. We can't do that. We're not worth that. Yep. So right now, I feel pretty delusional and crazy. <laughs> Even right now, I feel, you know, like, what am I doing? But it's, you, you, you run through it, essentially, because this is what I do want to do. I do want, I do want to do this. I do want to um, help others with this. Um, this is my skill. My partner is so much better at, um, like, art and graphics and like the visual side of things Mm -hmm. and it's really funny because when we talk about sort of like when we come into an emotional expression within our relationship or trying to talk about things that bother us i'll say it (laughs) i'll say it as soon as it's you know (laughs) happening about how i feel about it later it's gonna be like way later with her she honestly can tell me she's like i'll paint you a picture of how i feel so much better so here's another instance of what works for me is not working for my closest partner uh-huh. My solution is not her solution because yep. she's not me, but we are two very unison people. Um, so there is no uniform answer, and that's because that's and that's proven by nobody has an answer to life. Nobody has the answer to life. The answer to mm-hmm. life is is your life. Yep, essentially. I like that. Answer to life is your life. Hmm essentially and so i hope that whoever's listening and whoever this message is reaching to does value that um because there's lots of things you can compare to it and it it wouldn't have any value but if you just finally start comparing it to yourself 
you know, and to things that give it value. That's what's important. Uh, most recently, something I went through as a performer, you know, sometimes like if I do uh, an audio recording or something like that, and it's been editing and been through the proper levels of after process and stuff like that, and I finally put it out there. Mm-hmm. It's going to be like perfect or pretty close to perfect. But then when I do like a live performance and they didn't have an audio guy show up, they just plug it in a bunch of wires <laughs> and the microphones in front of the speakers. So it's picking up that mic feedback. It's mm-hmm. making like that. And uh, it's just like, you know, and, and, and the performance doesn't go as well. It's not as well received by the audience yeah. or by the people it reaches out to because the medium in which you work through provides your value a lot yeah. too. So, so if you're, if you're all of a sudden getting into this place where you're like, I'm going to love myself and I'm going to do better and I'm going to take, you know, take what this guy's saying and listen to it, but you're still within a medium that is not serving that you're still going to, you're still going to find those struggles. You're still going to flounder and all this and that. And what really sucks for me personally is that. You know, I had to move back in with my mom during the pandemic because the world went crazy. And a lot of people dealt with this. And when you move back in with your mom, you're like, well, this is supposed to be a state of recovery. It was not because she has never recovered at all from her trauma. Uh And so while I was with her, even though she could provide me housing and cheaper living than being on my own, it wasn't stress-free and it still didn't like I was meditating and learning about the Eastern practices and like doing all these sort of things that you're supposed to do to get better, but it still wasn't working. And that's because my medium wasn't serving me. My house, Uh my environment was not a platform of which I could perform. Mm Mm-hmm. So you think your environment has a whole lot to do with uh, your well-being of sorts? Yes, and I was told today, you know, you're not a product of your environment, essentially. Uh, and I think it's like yes and no. It's like yeah. you kind of are. So let's like let's like talk about product, produce, produce. Uh, you got a you got a bad apple. What's that phrase? That that bad apple is going to spoil the bunch because if you've done that, you know that one mushy, mm-hmm. juicy head of lettuce wherever that that juice leaks it does seem to kind of corrode Mm -hmm. the other produce with it and so yeah you can look at someone and say you're not the product of your environment but if everything around you is just corroding Mm -hmm. it's hard to clean that off you to become a version of yourself that is clean of that influence Mm -hmm. and free from that environmental impact can be done Mm -hmm. but I don't think it's just like like that. You know what I mean? No. Another analogy I gave years ago that I think is really good. Uh, growing up in trauma, household young early trauma is like growing up in a house fire. You're literally you're in the, it's just it's a pretty hectic situation. It could be life threatening. You can't really see the truth because mm-hmm. everybody's just lost in its dysfunction and suffocating from its dysfunction drowning in dysfunction again but yet we're comparing it to a house fire you realize your house is on fire you the smart one in your family have like realized oh this is not a conductive healthy home environment i don't know if my family is going to get out of this but i am and you run outside 
there are people watching. There are spectators, and we know them. We, and especially in Amarillo, that that evangelical, yeah, their house is on fire again. You know what I mean? Kind of a thing. Yeah. Like we know that house. Mm-hmm. has some smoke coming out of it and where there's smoke there's fire and fire in this instance is dysfunction yeah and so you run outside and you look at your peers for help and you are covered in soot mm-hmm. and black ash and you smell like fire and they know where you're from mm-hmm. that is not helpful that's horrible to go through and it's really hard to come out of this situation, which you didn't start and was not in your control, and then have to wash it off yourself to please other people, mm-hmm. screw that. You know, those other people are part of the problem too. Standing around letting things burn down. Yes, sir. Um, I think that, but that's hard. That that's something anyone's coming out of that situation is going to have to face, and uh, it could be done. Mm-hmm. But I think I think that message is really for those who are standing around watching the their communities yeah go down this road this path and kind of having that mentality of like that's what they get that's that's what they are that's what they're from um it's really horrible yeah and you have a good point it is about uh the community needs to come together you can't sit there and just point fingers and uh it is a lot of nature versus nurture because nurture will help a whole bunch, but nature sure is uh, going to be what ultimately helps uh, shape you-ish, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. so we've actually gotten like right near the end. So I figured we're about at time, aren't we? Just I was about, about to ask. Um. So before we uh, stop recording. What would you say to either your younger self or what would you say to someone that was or is going through what you went through? Oh, okay. My younger self is easy, man. If I, if I could go back to my younger self, um, I would grab him and be like, you have no idea the good things that are coming. And it is important to believe that something is because I wouldn't even tell him because he really would need to know. It's kind of like what that Dr. Strange said. If you know you wouldn't have done it. You wouldn't have done what needed to be done to get there. So, so, but I would want him to know that there is at least something good coming and uh, is as folky and phony as it sounds. The more you believe in it, the more graspable it is, even if you got to lie to yourself for a little bit. Uh, people who are going through what I went through, probably the same thing, very similar thing. Um, I can't really tell you what great things or horrible things are really coming down the line, but if you do try to manifest yourself and put yourself in a ready to be ready for good things to start happening through your medium and your self value and your environment, um, I think you, I think I think we could get out of this. I think everybody could get out of our really scary situations we all collectively are finding ourselves in Mm -hmm. but we're not if we're not going to talk about it and if we're not going to acknowledge it yep so So that's what i got that's my closer all right (laughs) 
Well, Stetson, it was an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you, getting to hear your story, and we're going to have you back on the show, whether you like it or not. So you're oh, no. <laughs> All right. Well, I appreciate it. I definitely would love that. And uh, honestly, I think this went great. I got everything out that I wanted to talk about, and I hope it's a lot for you and your audience to listen to. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to check it out. All right. Well, you have a good night, Stetson. And Yeah, take care, Keegan. All right. Shalom. See you next time. Take care. Go retrieve that sanity. <laughs> <laughs>